December 1995. I dropped out of college in LA with my girlfriend and we were moving to Seattle. Our rental car was way too small and it took us forever to pack all our shit into it. By the time we crossed out of LA County, it was getting dark. My mood declined from, I'm like Jim Morrison dropping out of UCLA and next up I'm gonna be in a huge Seattle band to, oh, my parents are right and this is a huge mistake. We were listening to 106.7 K-Rock because every young wannabe rock star listened to K-Rock at all times. We heard songs by Green Day and No Doubt and Pearl Jam and probably 10 other artists we've done on this show. None of it made me feel like any less of a fuck up. I looked Lori in the eye and could tell she was feeling it too. Then they played a song that cheered us right the fuck up. I love Smashing Pumpkins and I still listen to Siamese Dream all the time, as is an old man's right. But something about 1979 is different. It's the only well-known song of theirs that doesn't seem to have a chip on its shoulder. It's not a rat in a cage, it's not all by itself, and it doesn't crucify the insincere. It's the moment Billy Corgan set aside his big muff pedal and his angry young man persona and wrote a song that was nostalgic, hopeful, and incidentally, their biggest hit. Today on Hidden Jukebox, The Smashing Pumpkins, 1979. I thought All By Myself is that uh, <laughs> extra track on Dookie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I thought All By Myself is a 70s hit by... Um... <sighs> Never gonna uh, get that one. <laughs> I feel like I should know this. It's so it's someone very well known. Would you please look it up? I'm I'm doing it right now. I mean, okay, so so first we've got Celine Dion. No, then we've got Eric Carmen. Um, it's it's not either of those. Who first sang all by myself? No, it's Eric Carmen, 1975. So then, wh- who? Then may- maybe the Celine Dion one is the one I'm thinking of. The one that was in Bridget Jones's Diary. That would involve me having seen Bridget Jones's Diary, which is a fucking great movie. This this is what I've heard. It, it's very. And it funny. was like well acclaimed, and I just never saw it. Um, there's there's a part where uh, Hugh Grant and Colin Firth get into a fist fight. That's one of the funniest things you'll ever see. This is it, Eric Carmen, all by myself. Okay. Yeah. What were we talking about again? Let's talk about Eric Carmen because, like, Eric <laughs> Carmen, this is going to come up later because Eric <laughs> Carmen is a brilliant songwriter. And, like, a few years ago on Twitter, I'm like, I follow uh, AC Newman of the New Pornographers on Twitter. And I saw that he was making friends with Eric Carmen on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, this is so cute. Like, two, two great songwriters, like, becoming friends right before my eyes. And then he learned that Eric Carmen is like a right wing internet troll. And he stopped. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so to, this is going to come up later but you can be like any level of asshole and still be a great artist <laughs> like i don't know why i need to like stop and convince myself of that since it's the most obvious thing in the world like like billy corgan actually <laughs> exactly right uh eric Carmen was make me lose control right yes that's such a good song that is such a good song uh ac newman great songwriter yeah Absolutely fantastic. All right, let's talk about let's talk about 1979. Okay, uh, so I became a huge fan of Smashing Pumpkins when Siamese Dream came out. Me too. Uh, I still think it's one of the best guitar albums of all time. Yeah, for sure. The fact that this is their biggest hit is actually shocking to me because personally, I feel just about every song on Siamese Dream is a better song than this song. Um, that's that's interesting. This I think this is my favorite song of theirs. Really? Yeah. Because I I just have to say in the notes here you put that you think that your two favorite songs are Galapagos and Soma. <laughs> oh, I meant in addition to this one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm not necessarily saying that this is a bad song at all, mm-hmm. but Billy Corgan writes all sorts of different types of music, yes. and and certainly 
over the... I mean, not much polka. No, but over the uh, evolution of the band, their sound changed and changed. But uh, this wasn't the guitar-driven track that I grew to love when I was originally listening to this band. Oh, yeah. And I don't I, I don't think I would want them to do, like, you know, if they had done only songs like this, I wouldn't be as big of a Smashing Pumpkins fan. I agree. Siamese Dream is, is their best record, for sure. Um and uh, and I I love the guitar driven songs also, but uh, but he really has a has a knack for for writing one of these kind of uh, very very focused uh, like hooky acoustic songs. I mean I don't even know if you'd call this acoustic. I guess actually. Well, it, first off, it's got programmed drums. Yeah. Uh, second off, it's got vocal sampling. Yeah. Uh, so it it kind of rides the line. I guess I mean more chill. When yes. I say acoustic. Yes, I, like especially for this band. Right. So uh, this was on Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, which Billy Corgan explains uh, in all detail as a concept album and then says it's not a concept album at all. Right. Uh, w- which makes no sense because they released it as a double album that uh, it, the first half of it is supposed to be like a daytime type of feel right. and the second half is supposed to be nighttime twilight so not, to starlight I, yeah i'm not sure how that's not concept album but well i mean it depends how you want to define concept out that's a pretty loose concept yeah but this this album certainly has a flow to it and re-listening to the entire album again this week it, i wanted to bash this album i like when it when it came out it was too long for me. Mm-hmm. And I think I realized this week it was just that I was 15 and had the attention span of a 15-year-old. Sure. And said, I can't make it to the end of this album. It's just too damn long. It does kind of drag at the end. At The the last five songs right. are feel like almost filler. And saying that and knowing that the re-release of this album is over five hours long, right. that's a lot of filler. <laughs> I, think, I think the vinyl release has a different track order. It has a different track order, and it has two songs at the end. The original final re- release does. Interesting. Okay. Um, this song is about halfway through the second disc. Yeah. So it's supposed to be one of these evening tunes. Um, so it it wasn't what I was looking for in terms of their sound. Like they'd already put out "Bullet with Butterfly Wings," and I, like that song came out, and I'm like, yes. I am going to love this new Smashing Pumpkins album. Right. And I loved about half of it. Yeah. Uh, no, there, there are some real clunkers on Melancholy. I won't deny that. I still I still listen to the whole thing straight through at least once a month. Well, and that's something that we've discussed a lot on this show is that 90s albums tended to push a lot more towards that and albums before the 90s. But something that bands seem to have got away from is the idea of creating something that's cohesive and that's a whole. And this is definitely one of those albums that is made to be listened to all all the way through. Oh, when we get to the end of this episode, I'm going to be recommending two new albums that fit that description that I think you're going to like. Oh, that's good. I I dig it. Um, So the one thing I noticed going back to this song is, and like, I don't know how deeply we want to get into this on, on a, uh, you know, we, we've, we've kind of shied away from going into the deep music nerdery, but uh, the the riff, the the like re- recurring guitar hook in this song is very similar to Cherub Rock and very similar to uh, Hummer and a lot of other Smashing Pumpkins songs from this era. And uh, the thing that is going on there, and you can you can just like stop me if you start to fall asleep, Jake. But uh, 
there's this guy on YouTube uh, named Mike who has a channel called Art of Guitar. And one of the things he'll do is he has a series of videos called, like, so-and-so's greatest guitar techniques. And so he's got, like, uh, you know, uh, James Hetfield's greatest guitar techniques, like Alex Lifeson's 20 greatest guitar techniques. And you, the thing you realize when he, like, picks apart, like, a whole bunch of songs by these, these like, great guitar players is that most great guitar players are not virtuosos they like focus on a few techniques that they become the best at and are like distinctive enough to be a signature sound whether you know anything about music or not so like when you hear a a david gilmore solo like even if you have never picked up a guitar you're like oh that's pink floyd because the way that he articulates his bends like nobody else does it that way he's the best at that well, yes. that's part of why I didn't like half the direction of this album was because Billy Corgan had created this signature sound through Gish and through Siamese Dream. And part of this album, he sticks with it. And part of this album, he goes away from it. Yeah, that's fair. But I think you would you would probably say this is one of the songs where he goes away from it. But And in a sense, that's true in terms of like the tone. But in terms of what he's doing on the guitar, it's not. Because the signature Billy Corgan move to me is playing an octave on the third and fifth strings and doing that over a an open E or open D pedal. Okay, there we go. Now we lost our entire audience. <laughs> yes. So, but I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm not going to pull the guitar out right now, but I'm going to like throw in like, a, you know, 10 seconds of guitar noodling at this point and, and show you what I mean. All right, Matthew here. So here's what I'm talking about on the guitar. So you basically play the E string, the low string open. And then you play octaves above that, just kind of anywhere you want. And that is the sound of Siamese Dream and a lot of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. So check this out. So that kind of dissonant sound, that's the beginning of 1979. So, And you can play that kind of all up and down the necks, like... always sounds good. So then here's Cherub Rock. It's almost the same thing. That's basically it. There you go. Now you're Billy Corgan too. And and everybody's going to go yeah, I still have no idea what he's talking That's about, fine. but I, I do know what you're talking like about. One one listener is it like is like, oh, okay, of course, yeah, that's what he's doing on every song. <laughs> uh, no, anybody anybody who would understand that already knows exactly what Billy Corgan is doing. Never mind. So so I feel like a lot of bands have got away from the double album. I was I was trying to think of more contemporary double albums, and I couldn't come up with much of anything. Although it's so many bands release stuff on vinyl. And on Spotify these days, that the way that I knew that something was a double double album back in the day was I picked up a CD and it was one of those double cases. Right. So so it was like, oh well, this is longer than seventy two minutes or eighty minutes yeah. or whatever. So it's a double album. Um, and so we kind of made a list of some of our favorite double albums. Uh, yeah, I mean, if an album has like sixteen songs and it's like seventy minutes, like. You know, in the vinyl era, that would have been a double album. Like, you know, is like Scorpion, Drake, Scorpion, a double album? Uh, no, because I was just going to say hip hop 
and punk music don't exactly fall into this category because they can easily do a 17 to 20 track album and have it be 45 to 50 minutes. Yeah, although I was going to I was going to mention Zen Arcade, the Husker Du album, which which is definitely a double double album. Yeah, but Dookie is I think 17 or 18 tracks and it's definitely not a double album. Yeah. But uh Goodbye Yellow Brick Road for me and uh The Wall and Tommy by The Who uh, there is a live album by Yes called Yes Songs, sure. and, and some Yes fan is going to go, what about Tales from the Topographic Oceans? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no. Now we're in trouble again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we we already alienated the people who aren't guitar nerds, and now you just alienated the, the guitar nerds. Damn it. <laughs> Sorry, people who love Steve Howe. Uh, and so then in the 90s, besides this, Technically, the Use Your Illusion albums I will count as a double album okay. because they came out at the same time. I was thinking a lot, because you mentioned this, I was thinking about Use Your Illusion, which I haven't listened to in a long time, but I remember when it came out, I really enjoyed the song Civil War, and thinking back on it, that part where he says, ain't that fresh, what the fuck were they thinking? That's one of the most inexplicable moves in the history of popular music, I think. I, like, if, it's so aggressively dumb. I, I mean, have you analyzed any of Axl Rose's lyrics prior to that? Because it fits the mold pretty well. Sort of. But, like, I mean, I mean, yes. And, like, he, he's done some, like, very, like, he's done, like, a racist song and, like, a lot of stupid songs. And, like, you know, November Rain is just, like, very sappy. But there's something just so, like silly in the worst possible way about that one you know two seconds from that song i i have i only thought of that going back to that album years later but i remember being like 12 13 years old and him going what's so civil about war anyway that's also very stupid and me going yeah yeah get that that's cool uh, yeah, you could tell like he thought this was such a smart observation. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has ever right. come up with this before. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> we should probably like we should probably do Civil War on this on this podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great song though. It is. Yeah, maybe we should do November Rain. No, we should do we Civil should, War. Okay, fine. All right. Um. So this album and this song is produced by this guy Flood. Um. The Smashing Pumpkins, uh, for their first two albums, worked worked with Butch Vig, right? Uh, um, who not only is famous for working with Nirvana, but then became the drummer for Garbage. Um, and they wanted to get away from that sound. Well, Billy Corgan wanted to get away from that sound and wanted to create something different, which this album definitely is, and worked with this guy, Flood. And Flood has worked with... Nine Inch Nails, U2, PJ Harvey. I was going to say, did he did he produce like Octung Baby or, or uh, I Zuropa? think he engineered Octung okay. Baby and produced Zuropa. All right, um, Erasure, Depeche Mode, like a, a lot of eighties and nineties kind of pop music. So to me, it's pretty clear that Billy Corgan was trying to go for a more polished pop sound. And, and yeah. you get that from a lot of this album. Yeah, and the guitars sound very different, not just, especially on this song, but even on like the more like distorted rock songs. Uh, like there's there's this kind of buzzy brittleness that uh, that is more like synthetic feeling than on Siamese Dream, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, and interestingly, uh, I would have thought that would have meant that 
Billy Corgan was going to try and do something himself again, like he'd done with Siamese Dream, reportedly. And the other band members say that he let them in a lot more on this album. Yeah. And that that they had a lot more creative license within the studio and and what went on with with writing the songs and producing the songs. Yeah. So it it works better in their eyes as as an album. I just think it went on for way too long. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a James Ehav lead vocal on this album. That, that's right? true. There, yeah. well, there's even Darcy vocals at the very end of the yeah. album. Uh, this song specifically, really strange form. When you, when you start listening okay, to yeah. it. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, so it's got a short kind of pro, program drum intro, does two verses, a chorus, which is normal, verse, and then does a chorus that's different lyrics from the first chorus that leads into something that could be called a bridge, but works so well that it feels like it's part of the second chorus. Well, it, yeah, it, it like jumps in right out of the chorus. It, I I do think it feels like a bridge to me, and it's got like a real like kind of driving groove more so than the rest of the song. Yeah, um, that that kind of kicks up the energy level there. But yes, but then go on because I love how this song ends. So so verse after that, it goes back to the first chorus, and then the song ends with half a verse, just two lines and stop yeah uh with a little bit of more of the program drums outro love it it it's just it's really cool and you like as somebody who writes music it sounds like it wouldn't work that it would sound extremely disjointed and yet this song has a flow to it that it it feels perfectly put together when you listen to it i literally did that on on the most recent song that that i wrote uh the the, uh, the final verse is a half verse that, and it just ends there. I didn't realize at the time that I was like stealing the idea from this song, but oh, I bet I was. I, that that was going to be my question: Is did you listen to this song and go, "Oh, that's a great idea"? I'm I'm totally stealing. That. Not consciously, but like, have I ever had an original music idea? No, I don't think I would want to. <laughs> I, I mean, that's just a tribute to everybody that you've listened to before this, like uh, Eric Carmen and Axl Rose. Yeah, I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants like <laughs> Oasis. Um, so you you wrote here, like, can a heavy dose of narcissism be a good thing? Yeah. What, what does that mean? You read uh, Billy Corgan quotes and you listen to interviews and, you know, I I don't like to be the person who judges somebody who I do not know. But we do it but with with famous people all the time. He did go on the Alex Jones show more than once. Yeah, and, so. and it's it's really hard with Billy Corgan to not judge him. And you listen to him talk and do interviews, and he just comes off as a pompous ass. Yeah, for like, sure. Like when he describes making this album, he talks about it like, I wanted to do my own white album. Where, you know, yeah. that that's fair but at the same time you're kind of comparing yourself to the beatles like the beatles did it i can do it too uh he he played all of the parts on siamese dream when he already had a band right like he does things like this and yet smashing pumpkins were one of the most successful bands of the 90s and i still love them so so my question is can narcissism sometimes wind up a good thing so I don't I don't think it's like a like a causal relationship. I think it's just that uh, 
I think there are like a higher proportion of this this type of asshole, uh, you know, in like not just in music, but in celebrity culture in general, because like it does, you know, you're rewarded for for thinking you're the best. Um, And here, well, I have, a, I have a little story. So I was at uh, I was at Walgreens the other day and uh, like buying some candy bars or something, and I was listening to ain't the, that fresh, ain't that fresh. That's their new slogan. <laughs> um, Axl Rose, they hired Axl Rose as as their celebrity <laughs> spokesman. Um, Walgreens ain't that fresh. Uh, they don't even have produce at Walgreens. I don't know. I don't even know what the slogan means. Um, it's a drugstore. <laughs> <laughs> um, like they, they have the freshest Percocet, I guess. Oh, um, so I'm listening. To, I'm listening to the um, like the music that they're playing, like the the music they're playing over the PA, and I'm like, this is some like really good guitar playing for like some like you know like '80s easy listening track that I don't know. Like what's going on here? So I shazammed it, and it was a song that I didn't know by Eric Clapton. And I was like, oh shit, because I had been sort of working on this theory that maybe Eric Clapton wasn't really such a good guitarist because he's one of the world's biggest assholes. Yeah. Did I already tell this story on the show? No, you okay. did not. All right, because and, and I was like, oh, okay, no, there's just no relationship. You can be a terrible person and still be a brilliant artist like every, yeah everybody knows this right and and i mean th- that's what we we're talking about with eric carmen and and it's like stranglehold is still a really good song <laughs> even though everybody knows that ted nugent is the biggest asshole on the planet yes and i mean like stranglehold is a good song that you would expect like a piece of shit like ted nugent to write but it's not it's not even remotely out of the question for for someone like a ted nugent or billy corgan to write a song that really resonates with you on an emotional level so uh i've got a somewhat unrelated smashing pumpkin story did you you ever see the smashing pumpkins no i didn't uh, I saw them January seventh, nineteen ninety eight. Okay, this this day will live in infamy Uh-oh. in my life forever. Uh, we were almost eighteen. Um, sorry, mom. <laughs> uh, we we watched the show. It was uh, my friend George, who's been on the show, yeah. and my twin brother and me, and. We finished the show and we're like, smashing pumpkins, let's go smash some stuff ourselves. <laughs> and we. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing you didn't see Metallica on the Kill 'em All tour. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I mean, part, partly because you would have been one year old. <laughs> we we uh, went out, we smashed mailboxes. Long story short, we got caught. Mm-hmm. We lied to the parents. They figured out we were lying, and they made us go and replace a bunch of mailboxes around the neighborhood. Sure. And this is what I remember about my night seeing Smashing Pumpkins more than anything, (laughs) is that I got caught by the parents and got grounded and uh, had to go into these people's houses and personally apologize for committing what was a federal offense. Yeah, tampering tampering with the mail. Yeah. Um, Well, you're an idiot. And yep. uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think like what other what other bands you might have seen and what you would have done in response. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know. Like I don't I don't know. Trying, I can't think of any like like Bush. Maybe you would have like like uh, <laughs> aggressively trimmed someone's hedge. <laughs> What's aggressive about trimming a hedge? Well, like like if you if you like ripped it out of the ground. Okay, fair. Um, well, because one time, one time I went in the back backyard with my dumb friends, and we with some pruning shears, I like pruned a giant hole in the in the hedge 
in the, in the at the edge of the, our backyard and got in trouble for that. God, teenage boys are just the dumbest. I, I think I was like like nine, but okay. Uh, okay. But clearly, I was listening to a lot of Bush, which y- did, didn't exist yet. But. Young boys are the dumbest, and I'm so glad you said that because I'm like, when you were nine, it was like 1984. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Gavin Rosdale was maybe 10. Yeah, so he wasn't even as old as Daniel Johns when he became super famous. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you said that you have a couple of albums that you want to recommend. I would love to. Any do Anything else we need to say about 1979? I like it. I I really like this song, and I I really like this album. Listening to it again, I'm glad, I, I'm glad to hear that. I, I, it, it holds up remarkably well. I, I think. still think it goes on for too long. Yeah, but but it it's much more cohesive than I remember it being. Yeah, I like. Uh, I, I like name off like ten songs on this album that are among my favorites. Like like bodies, I think is a super fun song. Uh, yeah. Then the, and the other the other slow ones like uh, thirty three and to forgive. Those are great too. Thirty three is a great song. Galapagos is a great song. Uh, In the arms of sleep. Yeah. All right. They could they could they could have split it into like the loud side and the quiet side. Did they could have done a use your illusion one, use your illusion two thing, and I could have just not bought that other side that wasn't a good album. Is is one of the use your illusions like considered like obviously better than the other one? I don't remember I don't what's on which so. one. Okay, because they both had major hits off of right. Them. We'll have to discuss okay. those albums in yeah. more detail. All right. Two albums that you should know, and they're they're similar in a particular way, which is that uh, both of them are made by old men who you would think would be way past their prime, but have just put out some of the best records of their career. So first off, we've got the Chills Scatterbrain. The Chills are from, do you know the Chills at all? I don't. They are from New Zealand, and they had their biggest hits in the 80s, mostly, mostly in like uh, Australia, New Zealand, UK, although the song Pink Frost is uh, is a little bit known in the U.S. Um, and the the guy uh, who is the chills, Martin Phillips, is notoriously hard to work with. He's like fired 30 bandmates. He'll he'll like, you know, put out a solo album and call it the chills. Um, and he uh, stopped making records for like 20 years. And, and everyone was like, OK, that's it for the chills. And then came back in 2015 with a new album. And then another new album in 2018, and then another new one this year that I think is the best Chills album. Um, I, I like all their albums, more or less, but this one has has a song called You're Immortal that is one of the best fucking songs I've ever heard. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Album number two. Uh, the Cleaners from Venus is this guy, Martin Newell, who is a classic in- English eccentric. He lives in a small town in England. He briefly, like, you know, had, like, a real career, like, touring with a band. But for the last, I don't know, 30 years or something, has been, like, basically making tapes in his in his garage. And uh, he has a new album called Penny Novelettes that it's, you know, it's very twee pop, like you would expect from, from, this, kind of, from this kind of artist. But... It's just like one of the most tuneful albums he's made in a long time. And he has like some songs about current issues, which he's never hasn't done since the Thatcher era, basically. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the Chill Scatterbrain, Cleaners from Venus, Penny Novelettes. They're on all the services. Listen up. And I want to recommend a band called Goose. Uh, I am familiar with Goose. Most people know that I'm a, a bit of a not so closeted jam band fan. Yeah. And Goose, uh, is a band from Connecticut that's, 
on the come up right now and they just released their first full length album called Shenanigans Nightclub. And the complaint that I always get from my non jam band fans uh, as a blanket complaint about jam bands is no matter what, the vocals are garbage. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to be this unifying thing with jam bands that they can play their instruments, but they can't sing to save their lives. It's kind of true. And that reminds me of something that I want to talk about before we're done. And, and Goose can sing. Like they're, they, they are great vocalists. They write interesting lyrics. They write songs that don't have these extremely complex sections where they lose you. It's, it's like they play their songs out when they play live, but this is a really, really solid album that I'm pretty impressed with that I think most people would listen to and go, I don't think I'd really call this a jam band at all. Okay. I'm in. Uh, and the other thing that I want to talk about before you mentioned yeah. what you were going to say is coincidentally the uh, Fruit Bats from Portland. Yes, thank you for remembering this. Uh, put out their own version of Smashing Pumpkin Siamese Dream, and it's really good. And it's not what you would expect at all, unless you've listened to a lot of Fruit Bats. Yeah, um, and even even then, like they've they've been super creative. Like it's a song for song cover, like in the original order, but they've like rethought every song. It, it's like. Today sounds almost like an old Patsy Cline song or yeah. something, and Soma sounds like a Beach House song. Yes. It's it's just interesting because what you were talking about, about hearing Eric Clapton in the supermarket, I, I was thinking while I was listening to it yesterday and today about how if I was, say, at a party and somebody put this album on, it would take me five minutes before I went... Wait a minute. Yeah. Why I know this song. What the hell is going on here? Like they did a great job with making it their own. Yep. All right. Here's the thing I wanted to to uh to bring up, which is we mentioned that there's a James Ehoff uh you know, lead vocal on Melancholy. Uh and uh like James Eha is not a bad singer, it, but he's not great either. Um and I think I think Big, Billy Corgan is an excellent rock singer. Uh can you think like and it made me think of uh, another example recently. I love the Canadian band Metric. Okay. Are you familiar with Metric? Oh yeah. Um and I think uh, I think Emily from Metric is a is a fucking terrific singer, and I think uh, her their guitar player is a great guitarist and great songwriter, and a absolutely terrible singer. And every once in a while, he I don't think he has like a like a full lead on a song, but he will like jump in with a line like every once in a while, or like take part of a verse or something. And I'm like, what this this is like as inexplicable as Axl Rose saying, "Ain't that fresh?" Like, what were you thinking? Here? <laughs> Leave the vocals to the vocalists, <laughs> right? Um, I'm trying to think of another band where they've got one really good singer and one really bad singer. Have you have you ever heard Twin Peaks? Um, I've I've heard the name. I don't think I've heard them. They're a band from Chicago that's got six or seven members, and it's like a bunch of drunk, really strange dudes. Like they they kind of remind me a little bit of uh oh who was it who did Big Lizard in my backyard. Uh, Dead Milkman. Thank you. Yeah, uh, they remind me a little bit of Dead Milkman, and they have one singer who looks like the, the voice that comes out of his, his mouth isn't going to, and then he sings fantastic, and then they have this other guy who sings who's not so fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what else I would say is Bell and Sebastian. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I don't know the guy's names, but... Uh, right. 
And I think I th- they, have, they have three singers, and I think I think Stuart, the the male main singer, is great. I think uh, Sarah, the female singer, is very good. And then there's Stevie, the guitarist, who is a good guitar player. <laughs> that was very nice of you. I, ho- uh-huh. I hope you're listening, Stevie. He, he just, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure uh, everyone in Bell and Sebastian listens to the, to this show. He and, just kept it really light, and we just lost one of them. <laughs> Damn it. Sorry, Stevie. Okay, you said you said you want to do a Blur song next. We you, should we talk off air about which one? Well, I don't know if if you've watched This Is Pop on Netflix yet. It's no, it's a little bit hit and miss. Okay. But when it's hit, it is hit. And they do an episode all about Britpop, and most of it is about the very public battle of the bands between Oasis and Blur. And it made me go back and listen to most of Blur's early catalog mm-hmm. and they were a fantastic band. Yeah. Like they did so much cool stuff and Park Life is just a phenomenal album. They released I think 3 albums in 3 years and all of them are very good. Yeah. I think we have to do song number 2. I was going to suggest maybe Girls and Boys. Ooh, I would totally do that. That's the opening track to Park Life. Yeah, I mean, I do love, I, I love both of those songs and like would be happy to do either one. But like, I think song, song number two is so ubiquitous. I don't know if we like would have anything interesting to say about it. I, that That's fair. Like, not that anybody would want to yeah, hear it. Yeah, that's true. Um, but they, there's a lot to say about that band. Yeah. And I think they got a lot of their fame stolen in the U.S. by Oasis. Uh, yeah. And, and should have been bigger than they were here because they were enormous in England. Yeah. All right. Uh, so you can find us at hiddenjukebox.com, uh, facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox. Instagram.com slash jukeboxhidden. Uh, and uh, please rate and review the show if you like it. I mean, yeah, even if you don't like it. That that's that's kind of how yeah, it works. That, that's like, how it's worked. Can, can yeah, we works. stop you? It, it, yeah, it's, like, it's not a requirement to like us. You know, you can you can review and say like you know two two stars. You know, they're they're pretty good guitar players. You've listened this far though, so don't stop now. <laughs> All right, I'm Matthew Amster Burton, and I'm Jake Amster. <laughs>